Welcome to Leadership Unleashed. Today's leaders must be experts in emotional intelligence, the art of persuasion, and masters of motivation. Each week, you'll hear hints and tips to help you develop confidence, build your identity, and your skills as a leader. Here's your host, authentic leadership expert, Leslie Hunter. Hi, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Leadership Unleashed, the show that unleashes the leader from the process of leadership. Now, my philosophy is quite clear. I believe we have got a massive leader development tool around us if we have domesticated animals, and particularly if we have dogs in the household. I believe that there is a strong metaphor there, and that if we look at the dynamics within packs, it tells us an awful lot about how teams work, and also how a human has to interact as the leader, first of all with a single dog, and then in more complex situations with packs of dogs. So today I'm delighted to be talking to somebody who is going to be able to hopefully confirm some of my own views about how you can learn to be a more effective leader from our four-legged canine friends. So today I'm delighted to be welcomed by Dr. Isla Fishburn. Doctor, welcome to the show. Hello, Leslie. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it's fantastic to have you here, Isla. Well, first of all, you are a behaviorist and you focus predominantly on dogs now, um, having worked with wolf dogs as well. My background is in wolves and my background is also in conservation. When I was doing my PhD, I always wanted, it was always my intention to go off and um, do research in wild canids um, because my passion as a conservation biologist, as it was when I was doing my PhD, was always about creating a coexistence between people and wildlife. Wow. And obviously your top predators like wolves, uh, like large carnivores are always really heavily persecuted. And so that was always my intention. But I never just quite got there after I finished my PhD. Um, I applied for various different roles and I was always told uh, we've given the job to someone that had more experience. Oh. So I went off to get that experience and then worked with wolves for a few years. So t- and it- what did you actually do? You went off and worked with wolves. Yeah, I went with captive wolves. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was assigned as the conservation biologist and wolf researcher um, with some captive wolves in England. Right. Uh, we had two wolf packs. So ah. it was, there was a group of six and a group of three. Um, and then within that, there was wolf hybrids as well. And there was dogs. And it was really through that experience, because my passion will always be about creating that coexistence between people and wildlife. You know, we live and share this world with other animals uh, there are some conflicts, but how can we reduce those conflicts so we can all kind of live together? And it was kind of my work with wolves where I realized that, you know, a lot of people, most people that want to come and see the wolves, that want to come understand wolves, have dogs. It's just, you know, they can't have a wolf in their home, unfortunately. Oh, um, yeah, I'd love one. <laughs> I know. Um, so they have, a, they have the next best thing, which is dog. Um, are they actually an endangered species, the wolf? Are they classed as an it really depends. There is a whole lot of politics, there's a whole lot of conflict. And it also depends on what geographical area you're looking at. Right. So they are becoming more widespread, but some, yeah, some wolves are, are still classed as, as endangered, but it really kind of depends on, on what group you're looking at. And this is kind of my interest in, in animals in general, because you have to, you know, people come up to me and go, oh, yes, wolves do this and wolves do that. 
And I kind of said to them, well, what, what balls are you referring to? What balls are you looking at? Because it, there are individual differences. So one group of wolves might, for example, have different hunting strategies, have different group strategies, will eat different prey, will will catch that prey very, very differently to what another wolf group might do. So, so is it, means- I mean, I, I can see parallels here in terms of different teams of humans working yeah. differently, yeah. having different strategy and so on. But humans are all one species, or at least we're supposed to be. I know men are from Mars and women are from Venus or we're, we're whichever way around it is. Um. <laughs> pleased to know that within your wolf groups, uh, it is always the female that's in charge. Really? Yes. Oh, Isla, yes. you've just yes. made my day. It's always yes. the female that's in charge. Why is that? So you have, um, I mean, you'll have your different roles and, and I see it in dogs as well. So your, your two genders, your male and your female, actually within a group have a different role. Uh, and the female, if she is a natural leader, so it varies if the female isn't, but within uh, a group, particularly with wolves, you do get exactly the same in dogs, but we kind of manipulate group composition. So sometimes within a group composition of dogs, we don't have that leader. Certainly the whole purpose of, of having that leader in, in a wolf group is, is for survival. Do you think we've um, bred it out of dogs? No, no, actually, a lot of people think that we have, but we absolutely haven't. It's just because... There are certain individuals uh, in dogs that are designed, they're kind of born and bred and designed to be leaders, but not every dog is a leader. Now, do you think that's true of humans? Because you're opening up here that old, original, our leaders born or our leaders made kind of great man theory going back into the 1800s, you know, that that to be a leader, you've got to be born with a certain either set of genes or characteristics or, or is the parallel there between humans and the canids or is it a case of you can actually develop as a leader? Do you know what? For humans, I think it's both. Okay. Um, because if we look at wolves uh, many, many years ago when humans were kind of, you know, living alongside, you know, your top, your top predators and things like that anyway, it is believed that wolves taught humans an awful lot. So human, uh, wolves taught humans about leadership skills, about how communities worked, mm. about how alongside each other yeah. worked, um, even about song, how music was really important um, and how that kind of um, harmonized a group together, how harmonized a community together. Um, but equally with humans, I guess the biggest difference you have is animals, except humans, um, don't have foresight or forethought. So humans, then we realize we have this moral obligation or we have a moral right to say that, do you know what? Everyone is we equal. Oh, Dogs right. are slightly different. We, you know, as humans, we, we, yes, of course, we have to make decisions on our own. So, you know, if we're someone that lives by ourselves, then we do make decisions on a daily basis. But certainly what I know about kind of wolf group composition and how this applies to dog group composition certainly applies to humans within businesses. And I can often see it when the, where there's individuals in a business where they clash, uh, personalities clash, because actually have the very same personality and they're trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Or sometimes... Competition. Uh, yeah, competition. Or sometimes a manager might um, delegate a particular role, a particular task for one individual, and he was suitable for a different responsibility, a different duty, but maybe not suitable for that task. And so it's about actually identifying these different personalities in humans. And you're and- saying those same personalities are there within the, 
within certainly within dogs and certainly within wolves yeah yeah yeah. a lot of the perception is that a wolf pack has a very very strong hierarchy and Mm -hmm. you mentioned something earlier about song and wolves teaching humans about song i mean i thought and i think i'm wrong now i think you're going to correct me here that the the sort of the, the howling or the baying at the moon, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, was part of their hierarchical uh, sort of presence. Am I wrong? Please tell me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really funny because how I, you know, when I work with dogs, I will talk about dominance. I will talk about that word alpha. But actually what it means, because it's really, as a zoologist, which is what I am, I am familiar with these words and understand in my context what they mean. But in the dog community, it's really taboo. It is almost like Harry Potter, you're not allowed to say Lord Voldemort because, you know, Peter type thing. It's really, you know, I find it quite frustrating. So when I kind of give talks, it's one of the first things we kind of discuss and talk about. Um, So again, hierarchy is, is, we kind of tend to flinch at that word because it's quite a strong word. Really how any animal works is about survival. So if, it benefits me to have a set number of individuals within my group, then of course I'm going to have those set number of individuals. So that could be a group of nine, 10, 11. But on the other hand, if it benefits me to be on my own or to just have two individuals, then that's what I'm going to do. However, it benefits my survival, however it benefits for for me to feel safe. But kind of with your wolves, there is, there is, for want of a better word, a hierarchy, because we do, there has to be a leader. And there is hundreds and thousands of papers about how wolf groups function. And unfortunately, it just so happens that there are certain qualities about our leader wolves that mean they tend to be taken out first by hunters, unfortunately. And what happens if those leaders are removed, that the rest of the family group of those wolves actually can't function. Right, and, and they let me let, let me pick up on that in a minute, then, because you said you know because of the qualities, it tends that they, you know, that they tend to be the ones that are taken out first. Yeah. But before you do that, let me go back to what you've just been been saying about about survival, because. I mean, in this fast-paced world, we live we live in volatile, uncertain, chaotic, yeah. and I would yeah. say in turmoil most of the time. Yeah. Um, if you're in an organisation, certainly if you're in any any business at the moment, if you even try to stand still, then you're regressing. You've got to be keeping up with the pace, the pace of change, the pace of innovation, etc. And this whole concept of survival, when I work with a lot of individual leaders in the business, it it sounds as if they're being incredibly selfish and self-centered, but they're always considering what's in it for me. What's in it for me and how do I protect myself? Because the leader, as a leader, is quite often highly vulnerable. And what you've just said is that in the wolf population, not only are they vulnerable, but they tend to get picked off. Uh, for those qualities. So, so, you know, explain to me some of those qualities that you were talking about that make okay. the leader so vulnerable. I mean, you have kind of hit, hit the nail on the head there, which is why um, it, kind of that leader, leadership quality applies so well to particular businesses because the leader within a, a wolf group or, you know, you will get them in dogs as well. And, and this is kind of what I look at looking at, at dog group composition. Um, 
they are actually quite selfish. In fact, they're very selfish because they are decision makers. That is what they are as a leader. So they mm-hmm. provide support, yeah, they provide guidance, and they make the decisions for the rest of their family, for the rest of that group. So really what happens is their kind of viewpoint, if, they, if we can kind of humanize it, um, is when push comes to shove, my survival is more important than anybody else's. And also you need me around. If I'm not around, none of you can survive. So that's kind of how they work, which, which makes them very, very self-preserving. They are very aloof. They're very, very regal. And kind of what you would expect for those qualities that they then kind of, kind of get picked off first is unfortunately how they communicate, particularly in wolves, it is that leader, that decision-maker individual, that decision-maker wolf, um, has very, very striking markings. And it tends to be the markings, unfortunately, because we're talking about hunters now, that are, are going to get the fur to sell. So it's physical. It's a physical marking as opposed they to a... markings. Uh, and again, dogs will try and do the same. Um, but yeah, they will have physical markings where it, they kind of stand out. So within the family, other individuals can look out and say, right, where's our leader? Where's our decision maker? Oh, okay, he's over there. Um, and also with rival individuals, they can also, from a distance, find out where that where that leader is as well. Now, I always thought that the, the dogs, and particularly wolves, it was all done by scent. I mean, have they not got so some... Scent is, so dogs, dogs and wolves communicate three different ways. They communicate through scent, they communicate through visual communication, and also vocal. Um, so scent is, the, is, is certainly the most important. Scent is very much the most important. Um, but also they need to communicate visually as well. And that tends to be, it varies in wolves because we, we don't just have what's called the grizzle grey strain, which is the typical kind of grey. Grizzle grey. Expect, yeah. Right. We get the um, black wolf, we get the white wolf. But certainly from my observations and my understanding and kind of what I've read, there tends to be for that leader, they do have really striking striking markings. Um, and again, based on what I've read, it does appear that the decision makers um, are taken by the hunters and certainly the rest of them, the family, just can't survive. It's almost a panic of, our leader's gone. How, how do we hunt? Uh, and what are our hunting strategies? Uh, how do we even live? Um, so there is kind of this quite a frenzy and panic um, if those leaders are, are removed from that situation. A bit uh, as teams do in, in, in the work environment. If their leader yeah. is, you know, if, if they lose a leader or if their leader leaves or is incapacitated in any way. Yeah, but, but what you're basically telling me is to be an effective leader, you need to be female. You need to have striking <laughs> markings. So get the hair dye out, girls. You know, <laughs> striking markings and scent is very important. So think carefully about the perfume. perfume. So as long as you're female with <laughs> the striking markings and the perfume, we've got it made. <laughs> no. Now that's within, certainly that's within wolves. I mean, you do within wolves as well with your leader. You'll have a, you'll have a female leader and a male leader. Right. It's just overall within that group, it is the female that kind of really is in charge. She certainly, you know, she makes the decisions of where to go, when to go, how long to stay there for. Sounds about um, right to me. I don't see what the problem is with that, Isla. I mean, it <laughs> works for me, works for me. Right. So you, all of your original work was done with wolves, but then you, you have moved from that and you're working predominantly with, with dogs and they're yeah. domesticated 
dogs in the main now, are they? Yeah, or... I work with um, domestic dogs. I work a lot with wolf dogs and wolf hybrids. Right. But I also work with what you would call kind of normal domestic dogs as well. And you do that through your own business that is called Kachina, Kachina Canine. Now, I had no idea what a Kachina was. And I know your, I know your website tells the story and, and explains, but I think it gives a, a very good insight again into some leadership philosophies. Um, could you very briefly just explain what a Kachina is and why you think it's so important that perhaps today we embrace some of the, uh, the qualities of Kachina? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I, I came up I wanted to call my business Kachina Canine Communication um, because I have a deep passion, a deep interest in Native American beliefs and culture. Yeah. And I always have from a very, very young age. And I needed to bring that. It was important for me to bring that through into my business as well so people understand why I work the way that I do with dogs. Um, so, yeah, Kachinas, uh, the, the word Kachina comes from actually an American Indian tribe called the, the Hopis. The Hopis, the Hopi yeah. Tribe. Yeah. And long 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 time ago they were really suffering from hunger and drought and starvation and they couldn't kind of care for themselves properly they were starving and some kachinas were sent to them and the kachinas were sent to them um to help them to help them grow crops so what what was a what was a kachina then how how would you a spirit a spirit spirits and for, for different kind of um skills really so this is how you take care of your children. This is how you grow harvest. Right. This is how you um, produce an irrigation system. Um, this is how you kind of look after your animals. So there's different kachinas. I think there's, there is 300 different kachina spirits wow. in the whole story. Um, but then unfortunately what happened, um, as humans kind of often tend to do, the Hopi tribe got a little bit lazy because the kachinas ended up doing everything for them. Became so the kachinas, <laughs> Yeah. 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 So the, the Kachinas said, right, well, we're going to leave. And the Hopi villagers, they begged them to stay. Um, and the Kachina spirit said, no, we're going to leave. But what we will do is we will leave you one spirit for each skill. And that spirit is there to teach you, to teach you how to do things. So it's a bit and, like mentoring. You know, yes, it's, it's yes. we're not going to do it for you, but we will, we will, in the first instance, teach you. So teaching, instructing, training maybe coach you through as you as you learn but then we will mentor you and show you how to do yeah, it so yeah that you have to do it yeah and really that's kind of that's what i do i you know help people and teach people how to understand their dog because one of my biggest focuses are dogs are constantly communicating to us and it's about listening we need to listen to our dog what mm. is our dog trying to tell us how is our dog feeling is our dog feeling unsafe? Because the whole priority, like I said, the whole basis of any animal, regardless of whether a dog, human, goat, elephant, is, is survival. survival. And it's about safety. Do I feel safe? And so our dogs are constantly talking to us, and it's about understanding the needs of that dog in particular. Now, that's interesting because, I mean, I, I have long, long conversations with with my dog um, my, my husband my husband at times thinks I should be taken away in a white van in a straight jacket um, but but there are times when I will say to him um, I'll say look you know the the dog's not quite quite not not quite right or yeah. you know there's something there's something bothering Kino or he's, he's not happy or he's a little under the weather and you know Ken will, Ken will say to me 
looks fine to me. And, <laughs> and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but I'm not just looking at him. It, it, it's almost, it's almost instinctual. It's almost a telepathic yeah. uh, c- communication. And is that, is that just because I love dogs and I have formed a bond with this animal? Or is that something that you believe is happening and we are all communicating and sometimes we tap into it and sometimes we don't? We, commun- we are communicating all the time. Uh, but really what it comes to is down to is energy. Do, 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 do you feel safe? Does the dog feel safe? And uh, what kind of energy are we giving off with that? Is it a good, stable kind of heart-centered energy? Is it based on partnership? and love and understanding or is it a stressed energy that makes you feel unsafe because dogs dogs will pick up on 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 us as well and how we're feeling and one of the i talk about um like the different causes of behavior in dogs now one of them is what i call surrounding family dynamics who's the dog living with what other dogs is a dog living with what other people is a dog living with um and how we are you know if we're kind of in a job that's really stressful and and we're depressed or we're stressed and we're coming home and we haven't got time for the dog or we're thinking about work the next day and it's making us feel really really low ourselves they pick up on that they they pick up on the energy yeah yeah. because they pick up on the energy but again the dog needs to feel safe and the dog will see all of this as an unstable energy that we're giving off. They will see it as, you know, you're feeling, you're feeling hyper-aroused. And to a dog, hyper-aroused, hyper-arousal is unsafe. You're telling me you feel threatened, and I can't find, figure out why. So now I need to. Um, right. So, yeah, it's really, it's very much a partnership. Um, unfortunately, dogs aren't humans, so they have to do association slightly differently to what we do. Yes, but it, but the the parallel again, if we if we use not so much a metaphor, if we actually just look at this as a direct parallel into the workforce, um, that's how teams operate. Teams can be very centred and have a, a good stable energy, and yeah. you know that the minute you walk into an organisation. I mean, I, I I used to inspect schools years ago. And I always used to say I could tell within the first two, three minutes of being in the building and meeting the senior leadership team. And then I would always go from there to the caretaker and the staff in the canteen and the staff outside because I could tell instantly from the feel of the place, from the the relationships, from the way people talked to and about each other, the respect they showed and so on. And it was that... you. It was almost as if I was a sponge and I was absorbing the energy. And I could tell whether or not the the leaders were effective and, and working well and and creating that positive environment. Yeah. Yet in other in other situations, I've been in schools where I walked in and instantly sort of hairs on the back of the neck go up. And and again it's don't necessarily know why, but I knew there was something that wasn't quite right. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, let me take you back to this metaphor, because um, you used the word alpha before, and I, I never, ever refer to the alpha in terms of the alpha male, alpha female, alpha leader, because I find that actually when I'm trying to talk to leaders, that gets in the way because it gives them the yeah. wrong connotation. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do refer to the pack leader in terms of, for instance, a human. If I, if I have my dog, I am the pack leader as far as I'm concerned. But if I have more than one dog with me, I definitely have to be the pack leader and I expect them to look to me for that process of leadership. 
Do you think that we are missing a trick? Do you think we could be learning so much more from the dogs that we, we live with on a day-to-day basis? Do you know what? I really think um, that every dog that we, that we live with is always there to send us a message. And so, I, yeah, I don't see how we can't not learn from our dogs, whether it's to understand them more, whether it's to be a little bit more um, sensitive to their needs, to their communication. But, but yeah, certainly. And, and kind of within that as well, it is about recognising the needs of a dog and most importantly, the needs of that dog as an individual. Hmm. Not all dogs are the same, not all humans are the same. And I think this is where we get confused because... Everyone has the right to have their needs met. But what happens within dogs, it's slightly different for humans, I think, because, you know, we kind of, we can rationalise. Everyone needs to be, be able to be treated fairly. But with dogs, there are certain individuals that actually aren't equal, that they are more superior, that they have this selfishness about them, that they are what I would call like a priority dog, because they have this attitude, they have this kind of, instinct and this knowing that I am really important because if I'm not around the rest of the household the rest of the dogs that I live with these people that I live with they can't function and that's kind of how how that leader works and what you're talking about there is is in effect not just the role of the leader but the identity of the leader yeah very much yeah. the identity yeah and identity is a is a massive area um it's it's one of the areas that I did a lot of research on when I did when I did my doctorate I was looking at what is it that helps this individual create this sense and state of being and the first thing I I really came up with was you've got to assume the identity of the leader and that's in how you think how you make decisions what you say to yourself you know your internal chatter etc and there's much more to it than than just that but identity aligned with the role and the positional behavior i.e behaving in the way that that position would expect it's not about in humans you are the leader because we've given you the job title or the status or the badge yeah it seems to be more so in in the canine community that 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 is the case so there are some parallels here but there are also some very significant differences and i think the key is going to be being quite discriminating and, and and clear about where those parallels are um, and what we can learn. Basically, dogs have different personalities as do humans. And for me, when we look at business, this is what's really important because sometimes we have a human that is a manager, that is doing a leadership role, but they're not a true leader. And that's where things kind of crumble. So that's why they maybe not a very nice boss because they have put themselves on too much pressure because they can't cope with the the leadership skills that they would need to be able to dictate and direct and give guidance to, to the other individuals that kind of are in that business as well or in that group. And I think that's really, it's really important about a leader. It's about support and guidance that I recognize that you're not the same as me, but I'm still going to treat you fairly, but I recognize your individual needs and your expectations and your limitations. So that's kind of what, you know, even within my dogs, my three dogs, we used to have four, unfortunately we lost one. Um, it is about each one of my dogs, dogs are different. One of my dogs could happily go to the pub with us on a Friday night and sit with us there all day and say hello to everybody. My other dog couldn't cope with that. And um, mm-hmm. so it's about understanding those, those different requirements and different needs of, of each dog. Doesn't mean to say 
that I have to deny them of their rights, which I shouldn't, but they work. I work with them differently depending on, on their requirements as well. And I think that's a really important recognition to have if you're a leader. And I, I, can, I can second that. I mean, I used to, before I had Kino, I had two collies and they were twins from the same litter. Um, and one of them was what I would call, oh, if, if you could clone him, you would probably be what you would call the perfect dog. You know, he, he did, he, he was, he was just perfect. And the other one was an absolute maverick. You know, they were like chalk and cheese and very, very different. And I see this again in teams. You know, you, you have the people who have very, very different personalities, very different needs, very different yeah. um, styles and approaches. And I think the danger is that what happens with humans is if somebody behaves in a way that is either different to what we expect or is very different to our preferred way of behaving, we quite often use a word that just makes, it makes my skin creep. We talk about attitude and you know, my, I, another time, another show, and I'm sure we can talk about this, about attitude, but to me, if somebody says somebody has got a bad attitude, what it really means is they're behaving in a way that I don't like. And, yeah. and, and that to me is not anything to do with attitude. Attitude, I'm not even convinced there is such a thing as attitude, even though there's all this academic research that, that says <laughs> there is. But to me, it's all about behavior. And it is. it is. It really is. And I think, you know, even from that extreme, if we very quickly kind of look at our different personalities that there is one that kind of um not that i really want to go into hierarchical stuff but there isn't there is an individual that is naturally shy nervous and suspicious has a really important job um but is a natural naturally compared to maybe it, the other dogs or the, the wolves that it lives with in, in its in its group um is naturally shy and nervous suspicious wary anxious and we get these personalities in people as well and it's about but teams need those, you know, work, really workforce, organizations. Yeah. It's almost that person or that dog can sometimes be forced to do things that actually they're not capable of doing. Yeah. So for me, it's about recognizing what are your needs? What are your capabilities? Uh, and, and what are you good at doing and actually getting you to do things based on on that kind of personality. It works really, really well for dogs and I'm a great believer that it works very, very well for humans as well. <laughs> Isla, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for everything that you've you've said so far. And there's there literally is such a, a powerful message in there. Uh, thank you for your time and I will be speaking to you again soon. I look forward to it, that'd be brilliant. Thank brilliant. you. Bye. Bye. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. And what a body of knowledge and experience Isla brought to us today. And it was all based on one very simple question. What can human leaders learn from dogs? And I think she's convinced me that there definitely is a lot that we can learn. She talked about survival. She talked about the, the different personalities and the different needs of individuals. She talked about communication. And 
things that we can see and we can sense. And in the workplace, this is so vitally important that a leader develops that capacity, that ability to see and sense the behavior going on around them, the behavior of their pack, of their team, and of the individuals that make up that team. So I hope that today's show goes part way to convincing you that there is something that you can learn from our four-legged canine friends. See you next time. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Leslie and her book, Who Put You in Charge? Go to lesliehunter.com. There you can also join the pack, a free membership group where you'll receive regular hints and tips from Leslie, as well as access to some great leadership resources. So how are you doing as a leader? See how you measure up by downloading Leslie's free iPad app, the Effective Leader Scoreboard, available on iTunes. We'll see you next week for another edition of Leadership Unleashed. 